Come up, you have your Bibles. John chapter 15 is where we'll be. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, fourth book in the New Testament. I have to get a bigger Bible with bigger words. I'm getting older. How many of you know that the, that the Bible calls the Bible the sword of the spirit? That it's a, it's a weapon. It's a weapon. This is why we got to be in it. See, see, his word is like a lamp into our feet. It's a light into our path. It, it guides us straight to him through all the trials and the tribulations, tribulations that we find in this life. So important, his word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. John 15, verse 1. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. This is what he says. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, but must abide in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, this is Jesus, apart from me, you can't do nothing. Father, we thank you for your word. Jesus, we thank you that you are the word of God, that you became flesh and dwelt among us. Help us to to behold your glory, the glory of the only Son of God. Help us to do that, Jesus. And I pray today, Lord, that our our hearts would be softened so that your word could find its way in our hearts, that your word would be written on the tablets of our hearts, oh God. I pray we would hang it around our neck, that we would meditate on your word day and night so that it would go well with us. Lord, touch your people through this word, I pray. I pray you would strengthen us in it. I pray you would challenge us in it, Lord, today. That God, when we leave this place, we won't leave the same way that we came in. We'll leave looking a little more like you today, I pray. I pray your kindness, God, would draw those who need to repent to repentance this morning. I pray that. I pray that. Jesus, we love you. We worship you. And it's in his name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Before you're seated, tell three people, say, abide in him. Abide in him. Tell them, abide in him. No, but it's so good to see everyone. Man, I'm excited that you guys decided to, to join us this morning. Um, you, can I just tell you this? Let me, let me just tell you this. You made the right decision. Amen. Let me, let me ease any tensions within you. You might be thinking, well, I should have stayed home in bed. Or I should have checked something else off the honey-do list. Well, man, there's no place that, that you could choose to be better than here today. Amen? You made the right decision. Tell your neighbors, hey, you made the right decision. 
you made the right decision. Yeah, amen. Amen. So look, today we're going to continue talking about the miracle of sanctification. The miracle of sanctification because it really is an incredible miracle this this miracle of how how god the father right he he wants to change us and transform us and conform us into the image of jesus it's amazing it's amazing i love how god desires right to take completely broken people and change them into something or someone great and amazing in his kingdom it's awesome god loves to take to take people, man, that are weak and frail, to display his strength and might through them. This is what the word of God tells us. And he does this through the miracle of sanctification, man. God, God loves to take a people who are filled with fear and doubts and, and frustrations and insecurities and, and change those things and change those people into people who are filled with faith and expectation and, and hope. This is, this is what God does. He loves to take our mess and turn it into something beautiful. And that's through the miracle of sanctification, if we would simply allow him. Amen. 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 Yeah, so, so look, this is what I find to be so true with, with so, so many churches, right? So many churches. And they, they like to only teach on the miracle of salvation, not bringing up the miracle of sanctification because salvation is the the promise we love the promises of god but the process which is sanctification is more of a difficult thing to teach they they only teach that if you say a prayer one time if you just quote after them repeat this prayer after me then it's cool because now you are saved. And so you can go and do whatever it is that you desire to do and God's cool with it because you said a prayer one time. This is what they like to teach. Which, can I just say, that's a very limited view of the goodness of God. That, that's such a, a narrow lens in which to view an incredibly miracle-working God. Very, very limited. See, our scope of God has to get much larger, much much grander. See, the Bible says this, that he stretches from everlasting to everlasting, that the heavens are his throne and the earth is his footstool. This is how, how big our God is. We, we serve a big God who wants to perform big miracles in our lives. The miracle of salvation is a big miracle, but do you realize that's just the start of our journey with him? That's just the start. See, after God saves us, he wants to, to start to sanctify us, causing us to look like Jesus. So for us to just stop after the miracle of salvation and say, hey, you know what, guys? It's cool. Man, God's finished. It's, it's all good. It's just not true. Matter of fact, it couldn't be further from, from the truth. Couldn't be further from the truth. See, see God calls us to be holy as he is, is holy. And so our lens and, and our view of God not only has to get much larger, but it must get much holier. He is perfectly holy and perfectly righteous. You know, the Bible says in second or first Peter, actually chapter two, first Peter chapter two, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who are to be separated for God's own possession. 
This is the miracle of, of sanctification. This is God performing this on us and in us. Choosing us, separating us, making us into a royal priesthood and a holy, holy nation. And, and he does that, right? So that we can become a people only for him. Just, just for him. Jesus, nothing else will do. Just, just you. So that we can proclaim that to all the other peoples of the nations. We should look different than all the other people. We should look like aliens, the Bible says. Sojourners. Miracle of, of sanctification. And, and, and why, why, does he, why does he do this? Why, why does this, this big God want to perform big miracles in our little lives? Well, I'm glad you asked the question. Because in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it goes on to ex- explain exactly what he, what he wants to do. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who are separated for his own possession. So that, here's the why, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. See, God wants to perform the miracle of sanctification in us so that he can perform his work through us. But see, if the church only teaches about the miracle of salvation, then the people in the church never get to experience the fullness of the God they serve. See, if we, if, if, if we, if we stop there, because the thing is, we start there, but we don't stop there. Amen. We start there. We start at the miracle of salvation, but we don't, we don't stop at the miracle of of salvation. If we stop where we're not supposed to stop, then we won't grow the way God has intended for us to grow. Instead, we remain infants. We'll remain as infants. Now look, our, our children's ministry is full every single Sunday. And so that makes me know that you all know how to make babies, right? Like you're really good at that. Praise the Lord. You're great at that. But because of that, I know you guys understand what I'm talking about because you've raised infants in your, in your life. And the thing about an infant is, is this, man. They, they think the entire world revolves around their orbit, man. Everything revolves around them. They want what they want, when they want it, and that's just all there is to it. They don't care about any excuse. They, it doesn't matter. They, they want what they want when they want it. And infants think that our sole mission in life, our sole purpose is to just give them what they want when they want it. My son definitely knows that to be true, I'm telling you. And so listen, as an infant, that's okay. Like we're cool, well, most of the time we're cool. Sometimes it gets on our nerves. But as infants, we're okay with it, right? We're like, okay, we understand it. But if adults act that way, and I'm sure we know some adults that act like that, we're not okay with it. We're like, grow up, right? Grow up. See, as adults, we are to put away childish things, is what Paul says. As an adult, you put away childish things. And see, some people in some churches, right, they, they've stopped at the miracle of salvation, leaving them as infants. And so, and so now they think God's only mission, his sole purpose is to give them what they want when they, when they want it. But see, that's... That's not at all God's desire for our lives. See, God desires to take us much deeper, 
much further. So he doesn't stop with the miracle of salvation. He takes us on to the miracle of sanctification because he wants us to proclaim his excellencies. Proclaim his goodness. Proclaim his love, his grace, his mercy, his peace, his hope. He wants us to proclaim this to everyone we we meet. And because he wants us to proclaim it, he chose us. He separated us, creating us and wanting to shape us into a royal priesthood and a holy nation. Miracle of sanctification. That's what it is. You know, I, I think a lot of times we think this. That heaven is the reward. Like heaven's the reward. That, that's how we treat it. Matter of fact, I've treated it the same way, thought of it the same way until God had to reveal something different to me. But we, we, we think heaven is the reward. But that's actually not what the Bible teaches us, actually. It's not what the Bible teaches. I'll prove it. Genesis chapter 15. Abram. Abram, who we would later know as Abraham, Father Abraham, to be exact. But in Genesis 15, God shows up to him in a vision. And he tells Abram this. He says, I am your shield. I am your reward. Making sure Abram knew that he was the reward. And I encourage you, man, go read, go read that story. Genesis chapter 12 through Genesis chapter 20. 25. It's an amazing story to watch this man's journey, how God led him and, and, and saved him. Because Abram, man, he came from a really rough home, a very rough home. We think because God used him in such an incredible way, his home must have been great. He must have you know, been raised as a, as a, as a, as a you know, pastor's kid or something. No, no, his dad was, was a man who created pagan gods for pagan worship. And so his home was, was actually godless, but, but God steps in, saves him, calls him, sanctifies him, and starts to do all these amazing things through him. And I think a lot of us know the story, right? God says, I will bless you, and through you, all the nations will be blessed. I will birth from you my nation, my people. That's where the nation of Israel came through, was Abram, who later became Abraham. See, see, because God is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last is he. He already knew what he wanted to do in Abraham and through Abraham. He knew what he wanted to, to give Abraham. And so he shows up to Abraham towards the beginning of his, of his journey and his mission, and he tells him, I am your shield. I am your reward. He needed Abram to always remember and realize no matter what God gave him, God would be the reward. His person would be the reward. Not that God would be a reward, but he would be the reward. The everything that his, his heart and his soul longed for. King David, in Psalms chapter 16, he makes this plea. He says, my Lord, you are my reward. And remember, King David, man, was a man who had a bunch of things in life. I mean, incredible things that God, by the way, gave him, that God blessed him with. His kingdom was massive and it was expansive. He had tons of treasure that, that he could have viewed as his reward, but instead... He said, Lord, you are my reward. In Psalms chapter 73, King David writes this. He says, whom have I in heaven but you? Whom have I 
in heaven but you. In other words, if heaven is without you, I don't want it. That's literally what he's saying. Because the place don't matter. It's the person that makes the place. The place doesn't make the person. The person makes the place. I heard, a, I heard a theologian one time say it this way. He said, heaven without Jesus is hell, and hell with Jesus would be heaven. How true is that? And this is what David says. Who, whom have I in heaven but you? I only want heaven because you're there. That's the only reason why I wanted Jesus. He goes on and it says this. He says, and there's nothing on earth that I desire. Nothing I desire besides you. You're all I want. You're all I need. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my reward forever. Come on, tell your neighbor, say, he's my reward. He's my reward. See, what I'm trying to, to say to you is this. We must have a revelation. We must have the revelation that Jesus is the reward. He's the ultimate Reward. Heaven is a reward, but Jesus is the reward. And listen, I'm not trying to downplay heaven, man. Listen, heaven is going to be amazing. It's literally going to be incredible. I mean, the Bible d describes it and, it, and it, and it's beautiful. It says in heaven, there'll be no more crying, no more pain, no more hurt, no more sickness, no more disease. The Bible says we will receive a glorified body. Now, I'm not sure what, what that entails, but I like the sound of it. That's all I know. Sounds good to me. I'll take a glorified body. Amen. It says this, that the water, the river of God that flows from the throne of God is like pure crystal. It's so clear. It's like pure crystal. That the streets are made of pure gold. This is what the Bible says. Transparent as glass. In other words, we've never seen gold that pure in our entire lives. Because you can't see through the gold we have, right? Because of the imperfections. But the gold of the streets is transparent as glass. That the walls, that the, they're building material. The walls are made out of jasper stone. Fine jewelry. Their gates, it's wild, right? The gates of heaven. In other words, the things that God uses to fence in his yard, we use like steel and, and vinyl and all these other materials. God's, it says that God uses pearl. One pearl. Massive gates out of one pearl. This is heaven. This is heaven. The things that we see as valuable here, the things that we would deem as a reward here, are just stuff up there. Why? Because he's the reward, not the stuff. Not the place. Heaven is a reward, church, but Jesus is the reward. He's the reward. And, and here's, here's the truth. If God made heaven the reward, the moment you were saved, he would take you to heaven. He would just give you the reward. He'd just give it to you. Because here, here's the reward. Oh, you did, you did that? Cool. Let's take you to heaven. But because Jesus is the reward, he brings about the miracle of sanctification in our lives. But if we keep the miracle of salvation the only step, then we've now made heaven the reward. But as we continue on this walk of sanctification, Jesus becomes the reward. And God conform us and he, and he transforms us into the image of our reward, looking like him in all things. 
We've got to catch this revelation. Why? So that the things that we desire takes us to him, points us to him. So, so, so the things that we pursue in life will lead us to him when we catch that revelation. The apostle Paul says this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, each one, each person will receive his reward according to his labor. That which you work for will be the thing that you receive. You'll be paid in full. Whatever it is you put your time in, whatever you work, work toward, God will give you exactly what you're asking for. That's what that's saying. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus must be the reward so that our heart will be fully his. Because that's what God longs for, a heart that is truly his. That's what the Bible said. He must be our reward so that our labor causes God to give us Jesus. Because we'll receive our reward from our, our labor. labor. But if we stop at the miracle of salvation, it makes heaven the reward. And if heaven becomes the reward, like we talked about last week, guess what? We'll try to take shortcuts to get there. That's what we'll do. Because we're just trying to get where we need to get and get what we want to get as quick as we possibly can. That's why we pay the lottery. I don't. I'm too righteous for that. But maybe you do. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But this is why we try to take shortcuts to whatever we deem as the reward. We, we, we try to get there as fast as we can. And if heaven becomes the reward, well, then we'll do just enough, just enough to get to heaven. Let me just, just get to heaven. That's all I want. But that's not how God ever intended it. Never intended on heaven being the reward. It was always his son. And he gave his most precious reward so that we could live in him and him live in us, die for us and rose again. And, and listen, remember what I said last week. Our salvation is not a matter of what we do, but it does matter what we do. It's not a matter of what we do, but what we do does matter. So, so in other words, put it really simply, our salvation cannot be earned by us. You can't be good enough. You can't work hard enough. You can't be moral enough. You can't take care of your kids good enough or your husband or your wife. Like, you cannot ever be good enough to be saved by God. It's only by grace through faith that you and I are saved, that we are made in right standing. When I say saved, meaning you are made in right standing with God the Father. That's what being saved is, by the way, in case you're wondering. Some people probably think, what are you talking about? Saved, being saved. Yeah, you're in right standing now, redeemed. Back to the king. But see, what we do matters because what we do either leads us to Christ or it leads us away from Christ. It's just the truth. You know, I have people come into my office frequently. And usually when people come into my office, just to be honest with you, when they come to me, it's because life is really hard, right? It's really hard. And so we're working through things and they'll come in, they'll ask me like, you know, hey, my life is really struggling. What do I do? Da, 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 which is great. Praise the Lord. And, and I always ask, the very first thing I say is, well, how often are you in your word? 
How often are you on your knees before the king? How, how often are you turning on worship music and entering into the presence of God? How often are you doing that? And, and I'm telling you, most of the time, the answers I get, they're always really similar. Not as much as I should be. I could do better, which I figured out over the years is just code for not hardly at all. Sunday mornings is when I do it, for real. That, that's what it means, nine times out of 10. And this is why we find ourselves struggling so bad in life, because we aren't spending time with Jesus. Spending time with him, allowing him to fill us, allowing him to strengthen us, allowing, allowing him to reveal himself to us. Because when we see him, nothing compares to the beauty of who he is. I don't care about the suffering that we're facing. It doesn't matter anymore because of who he is. All that other stuff just fades away because of the beauty of Jesus. What we do matters, man. What we do matters. And, and one of the things that we must do that we must do not that we should do or it would probably be good if you did it or, or do it more no no we must abide in him we've got to be a people who abide in jesus if we desire to experience the miracle of sanctification the, this miracle of looking like jesus acting like jesus Loving like Jesus, talking like Jesus, walking like Jesus, experiencing Jesus himself. This comes through the miracle of sanctification. And in order to experience the miracle of sanctification, we must abide in Jesus. And this is what Jesus is revealing in our text in John chapter 15 that we just read a few minutes ago. 22 minutes ago, actually, to be exact. And in John 15, it's interesting what the Lord showed me in this passage. I've read it, I don't even know how many times, a lot. But, but, but he started to reveal something different. Because when he starts off this chapter in John chapter 15, Jesus is saying this, I am the source. That's what he's saying. So, so, not, only, so not only, we just learned that he's the reward. So not only is he the reward, but he's also the source. It's incredible. We must run to the source. We must run to him in order to receive the reward. See, he has to be the source that we are running after. He has to be. This is why the Bible calls him, the word of God says about him, says he is El Shaddai, meaning the all-sufficient one. In and of himself, in and of himself, he's all-sustaining. He's all sustaining. We need nothing outside of him. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. You know what the enemy has done a great job at? Convincing us that we need something other than him. He's done really, really good at this, that we need other people, places, and things. I'm not saying that people, places, and things are nice. I'm not saying that. That's not the point. But we need him. He's done a great job, the enemy has, of convincing us of this. In John chapter 4, Jesus meets with this Samaritan woman at the well. Most of us know this, this story. This woman has lived a horrible life. Horrible life. So bad, in fact, so bad, in fact, that she was an outcast from all of society. No one wanted to be near her. No one wanted to associate with her. No one even wanted to be in the, in the same vicinity as her. This is how, how bad of a life she, she lived. She was filled with sin and filled with sexual immorality. So she lived in shame, completely secluded from society, and everybody let her know it. 
But you know what's amazing? Jesus came after her anyway. (laughs) It's amazing. He came after her anyway, and he chose her, and he had great plans for her life in spite of her. It's amazing. It's amazing. How many of you are so glad that Jesus wasn't afraid of your sin, that he came after you anyway? Man. That, that, that he chose you in spite of you. I think a lot of times we think that God chose us because we're so talented, we're so gifted, we're so this, we're so that. Mm-mm. He chose you because he's good. Because <laughs> he's good. And I'm telling you, maybe you showed up today and maybe your life is filled with sin and you're living in shame. I want you to know, man, Jesus came for you. <laughs> he literally came for you just like he came for me in the midst of, of my sin and my shame. And he wants to use us for his glory for a great purpose. And you know what that tells us? This is what this tells us. God isn't, God isn't worried about what we did in the past. He's focused on what we're going to do in him in the future. That's what he's focused on. Not that he doesn't see the past and not that we don't need to repent of it. That's not what I'm saying. But he's focused on what we will do in the future for him. And all we need is him to fulfill what he's called us to because he's the source and the reward. Amen. Amen. John chapter four, this is what Jesus is revealing. This is what he's revealing. And this woman, right, comes and she's filled with sin and and Jesus comes after her. He chooses her, chooses her. And and this is what he says to her. He says, if you drink from the water that I give, you'll never be thirsty again. Because I'm the source. You'll never be thirsty again. I will become in you a fountain of water springing up into eternal life, which translates, I'm all you need. I'm all you need. Life is found in me. I'm the source. If you drink from my water, you never, I'm the source. It'll spring up to eternal life. In other words, I'm the reward. Let me try to explain this amazing truth this way. It's an amazing truth. Because life is found in him, because it's found in him, everything we need in this life comes from him. So if we need peace, it's found in him. If we need joy, it's found in him. If we need strength, it's found in him. If we need provision, it's found in him. If we need freedom, it's found in him. If we need comfort, it's found in him. I'm telling you, if I had a drummer, I'd tell him to put a beat on it. I'd start singing with him. If you need counsel, it's found in him. If you need love, it's all found in him. If you're lonely, man, you turn to him. Why? Because he sticks closer to you than a brother. He'll never leave you nor forsake you, even if everybody else departs from you. Just like that woman at the well. Everybody left her, but Jesus came after her. Everything we need is found in him. It's incredible. And and why is everything we need in life found in him? Because he says so. He says, I came to give you life and life more abundantly is found in me. And because eternity is also found in him, he's also the reward. He's the reward, which gives us security for our eternity. What a beautiful name it is. What a, what a wonderful name it is. What a, what a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus, Christ our King. It's amazing. 
He is the source and he's the reward. This is what he's revealing in John chapter 15. This is what he's trying to reveal. And he starts off the chapter saying, I'm the source. I'm all you need. That's it. You may think you need all this other stuff and all these other people, all these other things. You don't. You need me. It's nice to have them, but you need me. You don't need all that other stuff. I'm, 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 the, I'm the source. And let's go ahead and read, read from this, actually, John chapter 15. We're going we're gonna to pick it up again. And this is what it says. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. More fruit. What he's saying is, is, is I'm the source. And my father is the one making sure that everybody who says I'm their source is also treating me like I'm their reward. That's what he's saying. He's saying it's got to be both. It's, it's, it's not either or. It's both and more. You better treat me as both, the source and the reward. And my father's making sure that is happening. In other words, he's saying if people are trying to use me, if people are trying to manipulate me and others around them in order to get something from me, my father will cut them off of me. They're done. That's literally what it says. That's the Bible. You know, when I was studying for this message, the Lord spoke to me so, so clearly, so clearly. And this is, this is what he said. He brought up the, the, the miracle of intercession, right? We, we just went through that for a few weeks, right? Miracle of intercession, miracle of prayer, miracle of intercession. He said, see, the miracle of intercession is supposed to be utilized to bring about the miracle of sanctification. But there's so many people who use it as a tool of manipulation. How true is that? And I'm telling you, conviction came on me so hard that it hit my knees before my king. Because how many times in my life have I tried to use prayer to manipulate God into doing what I wanted him to do? How many times? Instead of utilizing it to invite him to do whatever he wanted to do in me and through me, instead I'm using it to try to manipulate him. God, I need you to do this. I need you to do that. Church, we must not be a people who try to use the miracle of intercession as a tool of manipulation. We need to understand that it's supposed to be utilized as an invitation for God to come in and bring about sanctification. And this is what the passage in John is, Jesus is talking about all through this. This is what he's explaining. People who are trying to use me for their source instead of I'm the source. They want it as a source, a, a source to get rich, a source to get famous, a source to have a, a platform, a source to have control over people. This is what happens. My father's going to cut them off. He'll cut them off. So you must come to me as the source and the reward. And those that do that, my father will prune them. He will sanctify them. He will begin to cut things off of them that doesn't look like him, that still looks like the world, that still looks like their flesh. This thing's a process. He'll prune us. He'll cut things off. It hurts. It hurts. If we're still doing the same stuff that we were doing when, when the miracle of salvation came to us, man, we need to, we need to hit our knees. We need to be on our knees because God desired to deliver you from it. And then from there, he begins to deliver you of other things.
of the things, of the things, not remaining you where you were, not leaving you there. And he says, for that person that desires that, I'll gladly give them more of me. I'll just keep giving them more and more and more. Verse four, it says this, abide in me and I in you. Abide. The word for abide there is meno in the Greek, meno, which means to continue with, in the presence of, to not exist without. That's what it means. To continue with, to remain in the presence of, to not exist without. So in other words, if we are abiding in Jesus, we are remaining in his presence. We pray without ceasing. His, his praise is continually on our lips, is what the psalmist writes. If he continues to be our source, if he continues to be our reward, then we are abiding in him and then he is abiding in us. If we can't exist without him, in other words, Lord, I can't make it today without you. I can't. I need you. Jesus, I don't even want to. Even if I could, I don't want to. I need you. When that's the prayer and a cry of our heart, we're abiding in him. Abide in me and I in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, but must abide in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, the one who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing apart from me you can do nothing now this can be a little confusing it can be confusing because because we can look around and see people building successful businesses and not living for god whatsoever have, have no concept of jesus not even a little bit we can see people living a super successful life but yet their life doesn't speak of Christ at all, but yet they're living what some would deem successful. So, so what is Jesus trying to say here? What, what's, what's the message he's trying to portray to us? Apart from me, you can do nothing. What Jesus is saying, very simply, if we are not turning to him and abiding in him as the source and the reward, we can do nothing for the kingdom. We'll have nothing of kingdom value unless we are found in him. This is why we must not exist without him and have to continually abide in him so that we can produce something for the kingdom, something that will stand the test of time because heaven and earth will pass away. This earth and everything in it will pass away. Rust and moths will destroy it. The only thing done in Jesus will make it past this life only him. You know, Matthew chapter seven, Jesus makes this statement. He says on that day, on that day, the day before we, the day we stand before him to give an account for how we live this life on that day, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we have to show Jesus what we labored for, because then we'll reap our reward, whatever we labored for. And he says on that day, many will come to me and say, didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I cast out demons in your name, Lord? Did, didn't I perform many miracles in your name? But I'll say to them, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. I was never the source and I was never the reward. So I never knew you. 
See, Matthew chapter 7 explains a whole other aspect of John chapter 15. Because not only does that mean that people can build successful businesses without Jesus, it also means that people can build successful ministries without Jesus. They can build a successful church without Jesus. A successful 501c3 without paying any mind to Jesus whatsoever. That's what that says. But in the end, on that day, on that day, it will all be exposed. If we don't abide in him, we won't spend eternity with him. It just will not happen. It tells us this, that activity doesn't always equal intimacy. Just because somebody is so active in the church doesn't mean they know Jesus. Just because somebody's up here leading worship super powerfully doesn't mean they know Jesus. It doesn't mean if somebody's up here preaching an anointed word from God, it doesn't mean they know Jesus. It doesn't mean they're abiding in him. Because his word will never, never turn void, return void ever. So if you say it, it's going to come to pass because that's how good he is. And to be fully transparent with you this morning, to be fully transparent, some of the most successful times in this church, some of the most successful times, meaning the numbers were growing and, and, and our outreaches were touching all kinds of people. And we, we had all these people coming in and we were feeding people, giving gifts away, although we still do all those things. But some of the most successful times where we were, we felt like we were growing, we were growing, we were growing, was probably the most difficult times in my life. Because I wasn't spending time with Jesus. Those times I was spending least time with him because I was too busy. I'm too busy, Jesus. Because after all, people need help and they need me to help them, Lord. So I don't have time just to to spend in your presence. I got to take care of this. See, I tried to become the source. People need me to help them. So now I've made myself the the source and the good things that I was doing, that we were doing, became my reward. Oh, wow. Look at all I'm doing for you, Jesus. Look at all this. Thousands of people at the carnival. Thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars were given away. Yeah, praise God. Well, good job, man. But I never knew you. I I I didn't know. During those times, I didn't know you. It was in those times, it was the worst times of my life. I was depressed, anxious, angry, flustered, short-tempered, because I wasn't abiding in Jesus. I wasn't running to the source. I wasn't, I wasn't running to the reward. I wasn't looking at him as the reward. And the fact of the matter is this, is they were the most horrific times in my entire life, even though everything looked good out here. Boy, it didn't look good in here. And this is a battle that I constantly have to fight in this life. Constantly. People, places, and things trying to replace him as my source. People, places, and things trying to replace him as my reward. Causing me not to abide in him. But there's nothing apart from him. We, we, we are left dry and empty. If he isn't our source, if he isn't our reward, we're not abiding in him. And if we're not abiding in him, the scriptures are clear. We won't spend eternity with him. We will not. Because apart from him, you can do nothing. First John chapter two, verse six says it this way. Whoever says he abides in him, talking about Jesus, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way that he walked. What we do matters. How we live matters. 
And if we say we are abiding in him, but we don't look like him, we don't talk like him, we don't act like him, we're deceiving ourselves. And self-deception is the worst deception. The enemy can deceive us and it can be revealed to us. Cool. But when we're deceived ourselves, we can't see it. We can't see it. We're missing it. We don't even realize it. See, we need to, we need to be a people who seek him. Because when we seek him, we'll find him. And when we find him, we find everything our heart, heart everything our soul ever longs for. Because we'll find more of him. And, and the way that we, we seek him is we get on our knees. We get on our knees before him. And our request is just more of him. Jesus, just more. I just want more of you. Reveal yourself to me. Holy Spirit, give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that I can know him better. This is how we seek him. We seek him by grabbing the word of God and and opening it up and saying, Holy Spirit, give me wisdom to read this. Teach me all things concerning you because the spirit of truth will teach you and lead you to all truth. That's That's what the Bible says. So Holy Spirit, we ask that. We open the word and we get in the word of God. We, we, we shut off Netflix at night. Amen. Say out or say amen. We, we shut it off. We tune into YouTube. Good YouTube. And then we, we pull up some worship teams. Worship teams we love. Bethel, Upper Room, Elevation, whoever. Whoever you like. And then we begin to enter into worship that way. Unless you can sing a cappella like me. I'm just saying. <laughs> amen. This is how we, this is how we seek him, church. This is how we learn to abide in him, is spending time with him. And listen to me, there's no shortcuts to this. There's zero shortcuts. It takes time. You get to know someone by what? Spending time. Spending time, not making a cheat sheet of who they are. Spending time with them, learning from them. Man, it takes time, guys. And if you, if you take time, Jesus, I promise you, will spend time with you and teach you who he is. But the opposite is true. If you don't spend no time, you won't know him. You won't abide in him. You have no clue when he speaks to you. You, you have nothing. You won't have a clue. If the only little bit of time you're spending with him is on a Sunday morning, he desires so much more. Jesus has to be the source. We got to treat him like the reward. Come on, stand to your feet. I was trying to think about what to, what homework to give you guys as you leave this place, what, what to give you. And the Lord put on my heart, Psalms 42, that you would wake up every morning and you would pray this psalm. Every morning, Psalms 42, verse 1. Every morning, every night before you go to bed, this psalm. As the deer panteth after the water brook, so my soul longs and thirsts for you, O God. As the deer panteth after the water brook, God, my soul and my heart, it longs for you and I just want you. And I'm believing this. I believe the Lord told me to to say that to you. And when God tells us to do something, it's because he's going to do something through it. If you pray that prayer and you speak that, that song, day and night, wake up, say it, go to sleep saying it. Man, God will reward you with him. You'll experience more of him. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. 
Lord, we love you. We worship you. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would begin to stir this room, stir the hearts of men and women here and children and young people. Stir their hearts, oh God. And I pray that right now, by the Spirit, that you would begin to draw people to yourself, Jesus, right now. If there's anyone here, Lord, that needs to experience this miracle of salvation, I pray today would be the day. I pray today they would choose whom they're going to serve. Holy Spirit, draw them. Draw them. And Lord, I pray for those who have received salvation, that God, you would strengthen us to walk this walk into the miracle of sanctification, looking just like you. Teach us how to be like you, I pray, Jesus. How to how to pray, how to read, how to, to worship. I pray that, Lord. With every head bowed, eyes still closed. Listen, if there's anyone here today, I don't want to end this service without giving this opportunity. If you've never given your heart to Jesus before, or you have and you feel like you've just wandered off and walked away for a while, I'm going to ask you just to lift your hand right where you are. We're going to say a prayer together, all of us. And this launches us into this miracle of salvation. Hallelujah. Yeah, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for that. And we're all going to repeat this prayer. Just repeat this after me. Lord Jesus, I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. And I confess with my mouth that you are Lord Jesus to the glory of God the Father. And I ask you, Lord, to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. That I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen.